Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the first convocation of May term. My name is Becky Horse. I'm the convocation coordinator. Many of you were in chapel last Friday and heard faith journeys from two seniors. Today you'll hear three senior statements. Now senior statements are a long tradition here at Goshen College. They were a long tradition already when I came here in 1991. We've asked three seniors today to say whatever they would like to say to you all before they leave this place. Some of them will talk, they're invited to talk about how Goshen College has changed them or what they would like to say to the campus community. It's really up to them. So I, I don't know what they're going to say. It'll be a surprise to me. It'll be a surprise to you. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Our first speaker is Jesse Shaver. Jesse is a, from Seattle, Washington. He's a computer science major and mathematics minor. He was in my oral comm class last year, and one of the speeches that he gave, if some, those of you who are in that class, you probably remember, was on oxygen dihydride and what a dangerous chemical that is and how it can poison you if you get too much of it. And it wipes out many thousands of people every year. Okay, okay those of you who are chemistry majors, what's oxygen dihydride? Water. <laughs> it's true, it was all true. I think you'll enjoy Jesse's speech. Let's welcome him. So my name is Jesse Shaver, and I'm, I'm a senior computer science major with a mathematics minor. And I, I also almost have a Bible religion minor. And I, I hope you'll bear with me today. I'm getting over the cold that's going around, so hopefully my voice does okay. Um, at the end of my senior year of high school, as it was coming up, it um, came time to make some decisions about what I wanted to do next. From the boxes of mailings I'd received over the last year and the telephone book-sized uh, sets of li listings and reviews I'd looked through, I'd whittled down the choices of colleges I wanted to attend to six. To these I'd applied, and after visits and some more research, I'd narrowed the field to two schools. On paper, both were roughly equivalent. They were both halfway across the country in Indiana, a bit of a trek from where I had grown up in Seattle. Both were small liberal, Christian liberal arts schools with roughly 1,000 students. Both had good academic programs, teachers focused on teaching undergraduates, and a strong sense of campus community. In the end, I ended up picking Goshen, not for any strong, tangible reason or any, anything that showed up on paper, but because I had a sense when I visited of a really strong campus community, and that was really exciting to me and something I was interested in. Four years later, I do think I've made a, I made a good choice, and I really have enjoyed the, the sense of community that is on the Goshen College campus. I think that when I visited, I identified one of the really notable and unique traits about Goshen that makes it so special. I appreciate the fact that people say hi to each other by name on the sidewalk while heading to class. I appreciate that since spring semester of freshman year, I don't think I've ever walked into a classroom on the first day and thought, I don't know anyone in this room. I appreciate that I've had the opportunity to get to know professors personally, even when they're in departments where I've never taken a class. At the same time, it has become abundantly clear to me over the years that in a very real way, what we talk about as a strong campus community 
could less charitably be called a large Mennonite clique. Over the years, I have made friends with many non-Mennonites on campus, and I have been, become keenly aware of how often they feel completely left out. This is from many things, including the alphabet soup of organizations that get thrown around by acronyms and never explained, and the many assumptions that people make about background knowledge that really only make any sense if you've grown up in a Mennonite context. I was reminded of a classic example of this just over a week ago at the baccalaureate service. The service concluded by singing 606, uh, also known as 118, also known as Praise God From Whom. As we sang it, I noticed that a good friend of mine who is not Mennonite, uh, who was sitting across the way from me, wasn't using the music. And afterward, I went up to her and joked that we might make a Mennonite of her yet. And this is something that we often take for granted. We, we forget how intimidating it can be to be somewhere new where we, we can't figure out what's going on through all the, all, through all the acronyms. And the, where the jargon is so thick that we don't know what people are even trying to say. And we forget how isolating it can be to feel like the only person who doesn't know what's going on despite not even working in a foreign language. I know that none of this is intentional and I realize that at least the best of my knowledge, there is no plot to keep non-Mennonites out of the loop. I know how easy it is to slip into jargon and to make assumptions about cultural context that people should know about because, I mean, we've grown up with them, right? And I know, I know how, how much a trap that can be and how, how convenient that can be. On the other side, I've seen how frustrating and unwelcoming it feels to be told in not so many words, that you're really only welcome here if you're willing to learn our way of doing things and our, our context and, and educate yourself on, on who we are with, with no real help from the community. To this end, I have kind of two proposals or thoughts for you. First, as a community, we must be thoughtful and intentional about what it means to be welcoming to non-Mennonite students. We must be careful about assuming too much cultural background and obscure knowledge, and find ways to welcome in and educate people who don't come in with, with that Mennonite background. And we must find a way to do this that's not, that's not overwhelming and that doesn't put an unfair burden on them. As individuals, we need to be aware of when the people we're talking to, our friends, or even just the person sitting next to us, misses some cultural reference and help them find ways, help them figure out what, what they missed without feeling stupid or like they should have known what it was. Secondly though, at the same time, we need help from people without Mennonite backgrounds. We need you to hold us accountable. We need you to remind us when we make assumptions that we shouldn't be making. And we need you uh, to prod us into being, more, being better about t telling people what or uh, about, not, about not making those assumptions about working to bring you along. Goshen truly does have an amazing sense of community, and I am really quite grateful for that. And I think that most of my non-Mennonite friends who I've met over the years here are also, have also come to really be grateful for that sense of community. That said, 
it should not have been nearly as difficult or as painful for them uh, to feel at home in this community. We cannot afford to rest on our laurels and assume that everyone feels just as welcomed as we have felt. We must be intentional and active in maintaining and strengthening this community that we are blessed to be a part of, making it even more welcoming and open. This being a senior statement, I obviously will not be around to do this myself. <laughs> so I leave it in your hands as, as we as a community work to make Goshen an even better place than it is already. Thank you. Thank you, Jesse. The next speaker is Bethany Renata Loberg. Bethany is from Salem, Oregon. She's a senior, uh, well, she's obviously a senior. <laughs> she's a Peace Justice Conflict Studies major with a minor in Spanish. She says her favorite class here at Goshen was Reconciliation with Joe Lichty. He's here in the audience somewhere, I think. There he is, okay. And she says that if she could be any animal, she would choose to be a dolphin. Bethany? Good morning, everyone. Fall of last school year, fall 2007, I was in the middle of the first semester of my senior year when I got an email about an internship with CRISPAS, Christians for Peace in El Salvador, that would be an eight-month-long internship um, working in El Salvador leading delegations. And CRISPAS's delegations are made up of, of groups of people from the U.S. that come to El Salvador for one to two weeks to learn about current issues in El Salvador. And I'd been interested in working with delegations since the time that I was 15 and, and went on a delegation to Nicaragua with Witness for Peace, which, and it was a delegation that was focused on the economic effects of, of globalization on the Nicaraguan people. And it was really a deeply impacting experience that drew me further into my interest in U.S.-Latin American relations and social justice. And so I was really excited about the opportunity that this internship presented, but at the same time, it was the middle of my senior year, and I just had one semester left after this to, to graduate, and so I wondered, is this really the time to be just taking off? Um, but at the, at the last moment, I decided to take the plunge and, and apply for the internship, and I found out on the day that um, GC students, including myself, were leaving to go down to the SOA protest that I got the internship. And last January, I headed down to El Salvador. And the, the delegations that I led um, during my time with CRISPAS were focused on one of three themes, um, youth issues, Church of the Poor and Memory of the Martyrs, and Economics for People. And delegations would meet with a whole variety of, of individuals and organizations, including human rights groups, economists, um, women's rights groups, artisan cooperatives, popular education organizations, um, youth groups, violence prevention organizations, and groups working with migration issues. Um, and so really, a 
a whole wide variety that, that would then be shaped around this theme. And um, delegations al always also stayed um, with Salvadoran families in, in a community for at least one night, if not two or three, to get the more interpersonal experience of what people's lives were like um, in, in more marginalized communities. And so here's a picture of one of my delegations. They're a group from Santa Clara University. Um, they're all business students that came to, to learn about economic issues in, in El Salvador, and they also put together a microcredit loan for the community that they stayed in for the community's um, organic agriculture um, project. And so as, as a delegation leader, I would coordinate with the group organizers to put together the itinerary for the delegation. And then once they arrived, I would accompany them throughout the week, provide orientation, interpret for all of the meetings, and um, facilitate reflections. And I really love serving as a link, allowing people to share stories and to learn from one another. Um, and El Salvador, I mean, really faces many incredible challenges. They um, went through 12 years of a bloody civil war in the 80s between a coalition of, of guerrilla groups and um, the government and the military, which received a million dollars a day in aid from, from the U.S. And the war ended with the peace accords in 1992, which really did an excellent job putting an end to the, to the armed conflict and um, creating political stability, but not of addressing the, the root causes of the conflict in the first place. And El Salvador continues to be extremely polarized, both politically and, and economically. And there, there was a recent United Nations Development Project study that, that said that only 20% of Salvadorans earn a decent wage and a decent income. Um, and so because of this migration that started during the war has only continued in, in larger numbers. And also um, homicide and, and other violent crime has um, continued to, to rise. And El Salvador remains the second most violent country in, in Latin America. And it's also the second most deforested country and, and water access is, is a real challenge as well. So in, in the midst of, of all these issues, it, it could seem kind of overwhelming, but um, for me, really, the personal interactions that I experienced during delegations, both um, just the, the strength and the dedication of the, the May Salvadorans that I met that were so dedicated to working for human rights and for um, the sustainability of their communities and, and families really gave me hope. And also the reactions of, of the delegates of this profound sadness and, and anger, as well as love and inspiration and, and solidarity, um, really gave me hope as, as well. Um, and here's another of my delegations. Well, some of the women from the delegation is a, a parish near Cincinnati. Um, and then just some pictures of some of my coworkers and people in different communities that um, I grew to, to know and love during my time there. Um, and then this is Alicia Garcia, who's one of the women that particularly in, inspired me. She's one of the founding members of Comadres, the Mothers of the Disappeared. 
And she was just one of the most quiet and humble people as well, one of the most courageous people that, that I have ever met. And in um, July of 1975, when she was at the hospital that she worked at, and she looked out the window at a student march that was proceeding and, and saw the army come up and um, open fire and massacre many of the students. And her brother was amongst those students, and he never returned home. And they looked for him everywhere, in the prisons, the hospitals, the military cartels, and they never found him. But they did find other women that were involved in the same search for their family members, and they began to work together to coordinate searches and formed a you know, formal committee. It came to be you know, over 600 women that, that were involved in, in their work. And all of these women were detained at one point or another and were brutally tortured. And yet they keep, kept working and kept raising their voices and were able to free hundreds of political prisoners and, um, and to really be a community to each other. And so her story, as many others, were, was one that was full of just this incredible pain, but also was very inspiring and, and full of um, this incredible courage and dedication. So returning to Goshen this semester after a full year away um, was certainly challenging. It's from reestablishing social networks to jumping back into the hectic college lifestyle and just trying to keep myself grounded in the midst of everything. Um, but I have really found that my experiences from this past year have brought an incredible depth and meaning to my classes, and that my classes have really provided a, a useful way to process all of these experiences, um, especially reconciliation. And um, so I would just encourage all of you that if you find an internship or another hands-on experience that you're really excited about, um, to really con seriously consider it, even if that means taking a semester or a year off. Um, because for me, it, it was really worth it. And if I were to go back in time, that's the decision that I would make over and over and over again. Um, thank you. Thank you, Bethany. Our last speaker is Aubrey Hauser. Aubrey is from Newton, Kansas. She's a public relations major and a business minor. And Aubrey says that something that probably none of you know about her is that her grandmother potty trained her in one weekend using jelly beans as motivation. <laughs> and I can testify personally that M&Ms work too. I talk about vulnerability later, so that's a little known fact. It was just the introduction to that. So my college decision was based on the flip of a coin. This isn't quite as impressive as Brent Hanfield spinning the map and putting his hand on Indiana, but I would probably argue that not many of you people ended up here because of the coin. So it sounds risky, but the method was actually quite effective. I received advice that if you flip a coin and feel good about the result, then it's probably a good choice. And if you flip the coin and then want to change to best out of three, then that's probably not the best option. The coin landed for Goshen, and in my gut and my heart and finally my head, I knew that Goshen was the community that could best nurture and challenge me academically, socially, and spiritually. 
In hindsight, what attracted me most to Goshen College was this sense of community. It is also what I appreciate most about my four years at Goshen College. So community, it's a word we use and hear a lot at Goshen College, obviously, our senior statements all talked about it. Um, but with so many points of access, what makes this word meaningful? And how has it um, been used at Goshen College? And is it a cliche? So with different meaning for each person, I limited my scope of this word to find three elements of community that have shaped my time with this institution. And that's through the people, mutual molding, and the support through vulnerability. So first, community is only possible because of people. Novel idea, I know. But it's the people that impacted my final decision for Goshen College, not the academic excellence or the athletic opportunities, despite both being positives. Yet the essential, essential ingredient of people to foster community became strikingly clear uh, last summer when I worked in Goshen and at the Globe, WGCS, your favorite radio station, I'm sure. And I spent weekdays on campus um, every day, and despite the wonderful sunshine, which I previously didn't know existed, the campus felt like a hollow shell. Um, other than the wandering maple, maple scholar or administrator or fizz plant worker, the, I realized the flesh and blood of the campus disappeared. It's each of you sitting in those benches that create the opportunity for community. It's not four-year residency or intramural sports or another institutional structure that actually cultivates our value of community. Most colleges have these opportunities. Rather, it's who we are and our intentional continued commitment to Goshen College that builds community. And for that, I thank all of you. Secondly, to live in community means you are directly affected by the attitudes and beliefs of others. What we do rubs off on those around us, both positively and negatively. One positive example um, of a, a small campus is the overlap of areas of study, co-curriculars, and general interests with other students and faculty. It's been wonderful to be exposed to a variety of opinions, political views, and faith traditions different than my own. My awareness of issues regarding social justice or environmentalism or trends in the broader Mennonite church has expanded because of this community's interest in these issues. For instance, I haven't made the leap to becoming a full vegetarian, but my consciousness of meat consumption has heightened thanks to certain concerned friends. In so many ways, we hold each other accountable to becoming the campus community we want to be. Community also means that our less impressive qualities can rub off on one another. I've experienced this to be as simple as ignoring house chores or advancing Goshen go gossip, which is one of the fast tributaries I think I've ever experienced. Um, and I'm not saying that Goshen College is the perfect school and that we don't have faults that we all continue. Um, one of these being our focus on ourselves with the Goshen bubble, as I'm sure many of you can relate to. In general, college can be a, considered an artistic time as we focus on our own education and betterment. And it's easy to stay in touch with our own little world and forget that life continues beyond our borders. I'll never forget my freshman year when I heard about Hurricane Katrina an entire day after the storm hit. Bad news. I mean, that's probably a reflection on my need to read the news more. But I also recognized that what my community is focused on is also what I'm attuned to. And when that excludes important issues, then that's a fault of the community as well as individuals. And finally, when you're in the most vulnerable times, you recognize what kind of community support is around you. Two and a half years ago, my mother was diagnosed with thymoma, a cancerous tumor in the thymus gland. Needless to say, my world was rocked. At first, I wanted to crawl in my top bunk and hide away from everyone. I thought I could compartmentalize the issue and 
but those of me who know me are aware I'm pretty terrible at concealing my feelings. So it wasn't long before my friends were filled in. I expected friends to offer emotional support, but what I did not anticipate was the concern and love de demonstrated by my extended community of classmates, professors, co-curricular leaders, track coaches, and even parents of friends in the area. Though most had never met my mother, I experienced an immense support for my family and my well-being, which has continued since through letters and conversations. Acknowledging this vulnerable time within the community also allowed for a few friends and even professors to share similar emotional experiences. One friendship in particular grew as we shared our quite different, though life-altering changes at home. It's these bonds that I will carry with me beyond graduation. Perhaps community has looked different to you in your two, three, five years here at Goshen. As Jesse mentioned, we have specific areas to improve, um, including our openness as a community. And there are many, many more examples I could offer how, of how Goshen College community has shaped me through house meals, um, track team, our unique cheering at soccer games, and the numerous times friends have bailed me out with help, a late trip to the emergency room, and ideas for this senior response. I hope that each of you, during your time at Goshen, uh, experience the power of people in this community, recognize how you've been shaped and are shaping others, and share your own vulnerability in order to enrich the life of this community. Thank you.